Uh, well, you can grab a seat. Uh, good morning once again. My name is Jacob Smith. I'm the pastor, college pastor here at Anderson College. And man, we are just, we are so glad that you've joined us here at Grace. I want to welcome you again, even if you've already been welcomed three times. Here's a number four. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, we're glad that you've joined us in the middle of, or really one week into, uh, four weeks that we're spending in chapters five through eight of the book of Romans. The book of Romans uh, is a really incredible letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. He wrote a letter to a church in Rome a couple thousand years ago, one of the very early first churches, one of the first gatherings of Jesus followers. And when he wrote to them, he was writing to a group of people that he did not know. He hadn't planted that church. Uh, he hadn't visited that church. And so when he wrote to them, he kind of knew, okay, well, we, have, we don't really have a lot of rapport. We don't really have a foundation. And so this letter that I'm going to write to you is going to be that foundation. And so he spends a lot of time not just introducing himself, but also introducing the foundations and the, the kind of core principles of our faith of what it means to follow after Jesus. And ultimately what we're going to see in chapters five through eight of this letter is that faith in Christ brings freedom to our lives. This is the ultimate point that I think we're going to see week in, week out over the next couple of weeks, uh, that faith in Christ brings freedom. That where some people look at religion and they look at faith and they think, oh, that's like a, that's a, that's something that chains you up, right? It ties you down. Like you're, you're limited in your options. You're limited in your life. Uh, the reality is that what Jesus Christ has done is he has freed us from the bondage that we were previously under to sin and death. And that he has in fact given us the freedom to make new choices, the, the freedom to embrace hope over hopelessness. That's what we saw last week in chapter 5, that, that Paul would explain that, man, you have freedom from the fear that used to hold you captive. He says, because of our restored relationship with God, because of our reconciliation, we have hope. We can choose hope over hopelessness. This morning, we're going to look specifically at how Jesus Christ has freed us from failure, that we can choose right over wrong. We don't have to live lives that are contrary to the will of the God of the universe. That used to be our only option, and yet now we don't have to be children of wrath. We don't have to be children of rebellion, but instead we can be children of the Lord Most High. God, Jesus Christ has secured that for us. That's what we see in Romans chapter 6. In 7, we're going to see how Jesus Christ has freed us from the demands of legalism, how we can choose love. We can choose the love and grace and forgiveness of God over the rigid structures of moralism and legalism and performing for God's approval. And ultimately, what we'll see in chapter 8 and here in a few weeks is that we can choose assurance, the assurance of our salvation over anxiety that oftentimes cripples us when we look forward at our futures. So, I mean, it's a lot, and I know it's a lot, and it's, it's, it's a bunch of stuff. I mean, even before this, you maybe were here when we walked through the first three chapters of Romans. We saw how we, have been, we, we can live lives unashamed of the gospel, lives that are transformed by the justification that we have. I mean, it's, it's a lot. And so our encouragement to you, my encouragement to you, is that you would be spending time in the Word of God outside of these weekends, outside of these Sundays. I mean, I know that you can learn and grow apart from me. It's very possible. In fact, it's probably easier, right? Like if you are spending time in the Word of God, and that's why we put together things like our reading plans. We have a, a sermon series connected reading plan in the YouVersion Bible app. If you have a Bible app, it's probably one that you have on your phone. 
You can search Living Free. You can search Grace College. It'll pop up, and you will see, essentially, I think it's an 11-day plan where you're walking through corresponding passages uh, with kind of guided prayer and guided application just day to day. And man, this is something that I love just personally. It's why we use it as a ministry is because I just, I personally love using these reading plans on the YouVersion app. There's a bajillion of them. And so maybe that's something that's helpful for you. Maybe it's not, but man, we want to resource you and equip you to be learning from the Lord on a day to day basis because ultimately, man, it's just, it's a lot to take in. It's a lot to take in and we can feel at times overwhelmed not just by how much we have to learn about God and, and, and our lives, but man, we can feel overwhelmed just by the incredible number of choices we have in our day-to-day experience, right? Like we have so many options. Like you walk down, you know, the classic examples, like you just you go buy peanut butter from H-E-B. You will have literally, I looked it up, 4,000 options of peanut, not really, but you will have a lot of options of peanut butter to buy. And so there's oftentimes this fear that grabs a hold of us that says, man, how do I know what's right and what's wrong? Man, how do I choose right or wrong? Because sometimes, even though we can feel paralyzed, you know, it's the paralysis by analysis where you've got all these options, you don't know which direction to go. At other times, we feel like we really only have one option. Sometimes we feel like, no, I'm, I'm locked in, right? Because of these things, because of this, what this person said, or because of these, you know, decisions I've made in my past, I feel like I'm locked into a certain path, uh, when the reality is what we see in Romans 6 is that we as believers, we are always given a choice. We always have the freedom to choose to walk in the will of God, which probably doesn't have a lot to do with peanut butter, just FYI, but also we can choose to walk apart from his desires. We can choose to disregard his direction. And the reality is that one of those decisions, one of those choices is right and righteous and good. The other one is not. And that's what we're going to see. We're going to see this played out in Romans 6, how there are all these choices that we have, these options that have been given to us, where we can choose right over wrong. And sometimes it's clear, sometimes it's a little bit more ambiguous, uh, like right here, when you just don't Okay, know. Lucy Joe wanted to wear a costume to bed instead of jammies. So she picked out Elsa, because it kind of like jammies, and looks comfy. Nora wanted a costume too. <laughs> so she's a hot dog. <laughs> one was right, one was wrong. Right? Obviously, hot dog, right? Right? Like that is the proper cushioning and support you need in your slumber. Uh, but, you know, Elsa Jammies, that's like 2008. Come on, wake up. Like, that's, we, have, we have options in our lives, and sometimes it's obvious, sometimes okay. it's more, uh, I don't know, it's, it's more unclear, it's more ambiguous. But the reality is there's always a choice. And we should never buy into the false promises given to us by these failed paths where we think, no, I, I, just, I have to go down this road. I, I get home from the game, and these things are in disarray in my house, and so I, just, I have to say something to my roommate out of anger and frustration. I have to cut them down and make this a, char- a moral character issue in them that they left out this towel. When we don't really, we don't have to choose that. Right? Maybe we feel like, oh no, I, I mean, I have to make this grade on this online test, and so I have to compromise my integrity and maybe pull in some resources I'm not supposed to pull in and use another laptop alongside of mine because I just I have to I have to do well and I'm just not ready. I haven't studied enough. 
Sometimes we feel like, no, I, I have to give into this desire. I, I have this, you know, physical urge for this substance or for this experience, for this sexual thing. And, and, and I, I just, I have to give him, right? I have to meet those desires. When in reality, what Paul is going to say repeatedly in Romans 6 is that we do have a choice. We do. And that even when we think that life is better if we disregard God's direction, ultimately, the choice of sin will never satisfy. And so to help us see this, what Paul's going to do is he's going to outline in chapter 6 three key aspects of sin. Because he knows, he says, look, in order to defeat sin, you have to define it. You have to know what it's all about. You have to know your enemy. And so over the course of chapter 6, he's going to lay out that sin holds no power over the life of a believer. This is all spoken to people who've trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. It says, and if that's your case, if that's who you are, sin holds no power over you. He also says it, has, it, holds, it should hold no place in your life. It does not belong in your life. It's still going to pop up. We'll get to that in a minute. He says, but it shouldn't be there. Because ultimately, what he's going to say is that sin does not actually hold any pleasure over the course of a lifetime. If you follow the road, if you follow that path to its conclusion, you follow the thread to where it ends, he says, sin over and over and over again, every single time, will take you to where you don't want to be. So that's just the truth. And so as he walks through these principles, man, my hope is that what we'll see is that we have a freedom not only to choose one over the other, but man, we have a freedom to choose life over death. That's what we have in Christ. Paul explains it starting in verse 1, saying this, what then should we say? Are we to remain in sin so that grace may increase? Absolutely not. It says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that as many as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? He says, look, you should not just revel in your sin. He just talked about chapter 5, if you were here last week, he talks about the hope we have and our reconciliation, meaning that our relationship with God is made right because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. And Paul makes the point, he says, that's why even when we sin, even though that can bring strain and frustration to our relationship, it will not sever our tie. God has adopted us in Christ into his family, through Christ into his family. And so Paul's saying, so should we then just like live it up? Is that just a free pass? Like, should we just, you know, just increase our sin all the more so that we can see the grace of God poured out? He says, absolutely not. No, no. Literally in the Greek, he's saying, no, no. No, no. Why? It's because it doesn't make sense. Because you've died to sin. One scholar puts it this way. He says, imagine if you had a, a dog that you loved, right? Mr. Tiddlywinks. Oh, Mr. Tiddlywinks is the best. You got him for your five-year-old birthday party, and it was amazing. You're like, Mom, you, never, you said I could never have a dog. She was like, I was just lying to you. you know, and it's like, oh, wow. And you got this dog when you're five years old, Mr. Tillywinks. And you give him, you go all through elementary school, all through middle school, all through high school. He's still there when you go away to college. You're going home over winter break. You get home, Tillywinks is dead. All right, let's just get that out of the way. He's dead now. All right, he's dead. I know. He was, remember, this dog has never truly existed, right? He's, in the, he's a fragment in our imagination. So Mr. Tillywinks is now dead. Now, how bizarre, and I would argue, unhealthy would it be if you just continued through your life as if Mr. Tillywinks was alive? How would that help? Would that be good? Would that be healthy? Would people look at that and be like, oh, that's good, right? That you're still feeding Mr. Tillywinks, you're still giving him water, you're still taking him on walks, right? Like that's, it would get really dark really fast. 
if you're still treating Mr. Tillemans as if he were alive when he is, in fact, dead. The actual Scott, the commentator that I read that from, he actually used the illustration of, like, your spouse. And I was like, ooh, this is dark, right? Dog, right? But still. He says, imagine how horrifically unhealthy that would be for an individual and how it does, makes no sense, how it defies comprehension if you continue to treat something alive as if it were dead. Paul is saying this very thing about sin. He says, why would you act as if sin holds power over your life, that you have to live in it, when in fact you've died to sin? Sin has been conquered and defeated by Jesus Christ. You've been freed from that. You're not in bondage anymore. He says, Jesus Christ took that sin to the grave. And now note, he doesn't say that it's impossible to sin or that sin has lost all appeal. In fact, we know, and the reason he's saying this is because it is very possible for a believer to still put themselves under sin. It is very enticing at times for believers to fall into sin, to give into that temptation. But, but what Paul's saying is that it is unnecessary and it is undesirable to live in it. Why? Because you should have, Christ took it to the grave. He says, therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may too live a new life. He's saying the power of God, literally when he talks about this glory, he says it's the power of God has been manifested in that he raised Christ from the dead, that he not, didn't only bring those, that sin into the grave, but that when he left, he brought new life. This is why Paul says in verse 12, he says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires and do not present your members as to sin as instruments to be used for unrighteousness. He says you don't have to allow it to, literally this, this term he's using is, is the idea of an, a, a, a ruler, like a, a king or an emperor. He says you don't have to let it be this all-encompassing power in your life anymore. You don't have to present yourself to be used for unrighteousness. He says instead... You can present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead and your members to God as instruments to be used for righteousness. He says you have a choice to walk in the fullness of life through Christ. And so he lands in verse 14 saying this, that sin will have no mastery over you because you're not under law, you're under grace. He says this is the beauty of our gospel that God saw us in the midst of our rebellion, in the midst of our sin. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were dead in our trespasses, dead in our transgressions, Jesus Christ came, lived the perfect life that we could never live, died the death that we deserved, and rose again to say, you can join me in the fullness of new life. And it's not because of something you earned. It's not because of a law that you kept. He says, it's because I just love you. It's unmerited, unearned favor, grace from the Lord. Paul says we can allow this grace to now transform our hearts, our minds, and our actions, our lives. He says everything is different now. And yet I think a lot of times we're held back from this because we, I, will overestimate the power of sin in my life. I will feel at times as if I have no other choice but to disregard the commands of God when the reality is that, no, it's not, simply not true. And, and I think a lot of times the reason this plays out is because as people, as humans, we are creatures of habit. I mean, we are a people, for better or worse, who can get into these rhythms and just like 
keep tracking, right? Like you can kind of, you get set on your tracks and you just, you just keep moving. You don't even have to think about it. Uh, I, I, as we were preparing this uh, in the summer, uh, I had just finished reading a book this spring, I think it came out in like January, um, by a guy named James Clear, where he talks about habit. And he talks about this, this simple truth that many times, just as we overestimate the power of sin, we underestimate the power of habit in our lives. And many times the habits that we, we enact, they just, they happen almost unconsciously. They just, they just start up. And, and he's, he doesn't make that, he doesn't talk about sin in his book. It's a great book. It's called Atomic Habits. A bunch of people have read it at this point. Um, you maybe have heard about it before, but I strongly recommend it. It's not, it's not like a Christian book or anything like that, but it's, it's powerful in understanding, I think, more of how God has designed us and how habits really do transform our lives. Because what, psych, what clinical psychologists have found is they study people and anthropologists and all that stuff. They're looking at humans and society. What they've found is they'll categorize and say uh, that about 40% of your daily actions are not actual conscious decisions, but just habit. About 40% of your daily actions. So think about it in this way. Um, like when you're eating, Right? When you eat a meal, you're not consciously probably thinking about getting the food from the plate onto the fork into your mouth. Right? You, just, you just kind of do that. It's, it's habit. So, I mean, sometimes, again, sometimes you're like, whoa, the plane. I don't know. I don't know how you eat. Sometimes you could give some conscious effort, but generally speaking, no. Uh, same thing of like when you're getting ready for the day, you take a shower, you just you probably don't even think about it. You like get the shampoo, you get the soap, or you scrub or whatever. You know, like you go out, you're, you have European uh, origin, and so you use a bidet. I don't know. Like you just, you have these different little aspects, these little things in your life, these rhythms that you don't even think about. You can, you, we see this when we drive places, right? All of a sudden, you like get in your car, you're like, okay, bye mom, who lives in Plano? And then just like you're in college station, you're like, wait, Huh? What happened? Right? And you just, it's because you just, you just, you've done it so many times, or you've walked across campus so many times, you're like, bye, Harrington. You're like, Wayner? Like, and you're just there. It just happens. You're like, I meant to go to the commons, right? But whatever. Like, you just, you walk through these processes of life, and without even thinking about it, you're doing, you're taking these actions. They, again, they break down about 40%. Um, you just, you fall into these rhythms. You, you don't, you know, you're, you stop working in this one organization. You're like, well, I've just lost that organization. I guess I need to join two more organizations, right? Like I, I'm going to double up and I'm just, by the time I'm a senior, I just, I run A&M. Like, because that's what Aggies do. We get over involved and everything crashes around us, right? That's, that's just habit. It's something that we just do without even thinking. And unfortunately, many times I think we can allow our habits or my habits are sinful, right? That's where it's problematic where many times we can walk through life and we're not even thinking about it. But you turn to some sort of escape whenever you hit a tough spot. You're, you have an argument with your significant other or you have an issue with a roommate or maybe it's just a certain time of day and you turn to pornography. You, you don't even consciously think about it. But it's just kind of what you've done for an extended period of time and so therefore it's just kind of what you're still going to do. Or maybe you pull your phone out because you know you need to look something up or make a calendar date or whatever and because your phone's already out, you just, you go to Instagram, and maybe you, like, you have to like, scroll over two pages and open a folder because like, you tried to hide it from yourself, but I don't know, you still open it. So you go to Instagram, and you start scrolling through, and you're looking through your feed, and you just start to compare yourself, and your self-worth begins to plummet because you're, you're holding yourself up, and you're, you're fostering jealousy or resentment or frustration, and, and again, you're not even thinking about it. You didn't like pull your phone and be like, let's, let's, just, let's just crush my ego today. Like, let's just, I'm ready, Right? You're not even thinking about it. 
You're not even thinking about it. When, when your roommate like, asks you for something, but in your mind, you're like, no, it's Friday afternoons are my time. And so if someone else asks you for a favor, asks you, you just you lash out and you're, you're selfish with that time. You're like, no, I'm, I don't want to do those things. Or maybe you, you're getting a rhythm with your work and in your school and your degree, and then a professor's asking you to like, put in a little extra effort or do something, and you're like, I don't want to. Ugh, I don't want to do that. And you're, and you're lazy or you're, you're frustrated. Again, you don't even think about it. But you're living in a way that's outside of the will of God. You're living in a way that, that's sinful. This happens to me all the time. Where expectations I have aren't met by tiny people that live in my house called children. And I will, just out of habit, my voice will get louder. I never did that before I had kids. I never raised my voice to people, ever. But with kids, I just, it's, it's a habit. I don't even consciously think, I should raise my voice and be more stern about this because I already gave you milk or whatever. Right? Like that's not even a conscious choice I make. It's habit, and it's wrong. And so for some of us, we need to recognize that there are habits in our lives that need to be broken, that need to be broken. And the beauty is that through Christ, we have that ability, that we have the opportunity, we have the choice in life to resist or remove temptation. We do. This is what's promised to us by Romans 6, what's promised to, us, promised to us in 1 Corinthians 10, which we'll read here in a minute. But Craig Rochelle at Life Church up in Oklahoma, he has this great series, he's a three-part series on habit and how you see habit pop up in Scripture back in the spring. And, you know, one of the things that he said that will always stick with me is he said, why would I resist temptation tomorrow if I can remove it today? And what he's talking about is this idea of removing the triggers and kind of those first parts. Because when you have a habit, James Clear talks about this, when you have a habit, it follows kind of a system. You have a trigger, which brings an action, which then produces a result. That's what a habit is in your life, right? If this, then this, then that. And so, what happens is that we can look at our lives and we can identify, hey, there are triggers in my life that I could just be better at avoiding, right? That's what maybe sometimes we call these boundaries. I can set up these boundaries and these safeguards in my life, and in doing so, I can remove the temptation today, which would otherwise be very hard to resist tomorrow. Uh, they, they break down these triggers into kind of five different ways. It's, maybe it's a, a place or a time or a mood or a moment or people. Right now, when I say place, I mean you know there are certain places that we just we can avoid that we know if we're there we're going to get into trouble. We're going to feel locked in or or tempted by whatever it might be. Right? I had a roommate in college who he and his girlfriend their default operating mode their default hangout mode in our home. She would come over, and they would just like maybe she like say hi. Most of the time she was just not, and then they would go into his room, close the door, and hang out on his bed. That's just that was their default, and so. There were a few times where he would talk with us about like, man, you know, we're, we're dealing with this. And I mean, we're just, we're struggling. Like, we don't want to like cross some of these lines. We're trying to stay, you know, trying to abide by, you know, biblical principles of saving sexuality for a covenant marriage relationship. He's like, but man, it's just, it's been hard. And we would tell him, we were like, well, dude, look where you guys go every time she comes over. You guys just go to your room, you close the door and you hang out on your bed. It's like, what do you, what do you think is going to happen? Right? If I put you in the middle of Kyle Field with like a football and a friend, of course you're gonna play catch. Like what's gonna like that's just what's gonna happen. You can't not do that. And so there are times where we have to identify, okay, that's a place 
that maybe I shouldn't be in. That's a situation that I should avoid. Maybe it's a time. Maybe it's, okay, you know, maybe you grew up like me hearing like, well, no one, nothing good ever happens after midnight, right? Like that's a thing that maybe people say. And I'll tell you, maybe there's some truth to that, right? Maybe you don't make the best decisions at 2 a.m. or 1 a.m. or 7 p.m. I don't know. Like maybe your clock ends at 6. But we know, I mean, there are times in life where, man, I... I probably should be avoiding like hard decisions or I shouldn't be putting myself in these situations with these people or this, you know, be tempted to engage in that activity because it's, it's just late. I'm just tired, right? Sometimes it's a mood. Maybe it's I'm tired or I'm sad or I'm lonely or I'm angry or I'm jealous or I'm hungry. And because of these different moods that pop up, we will be more likely to fall into this temptation when we should just be able to recognize, say, okay, I know that I'm always tired after this or that. You know, I know I need to guard myself. Maybe it's a moment. In other words, maybe it's some other contextualized event that triggers your action and the result. Meaning, maybe it's every time you finish a test. You turn in your test, you're like, oh. And maybe for you, you don't even think about it, but that means you're going to go home and you're going to binge on something. You're going to binge on food. You're going to binge on a show. You're going to binge on some other substance. Because why? You had this huge pressure and build and release, and so now you say, okay, it's time to, you know, my time. You don't even think about it, but you're walking into sin because you're allowing this trigger to remain in your life. Not to mean you should never turn in a test, but maybe it's the fact that you turned in a test and then you went by yourself somewhere. Or maybe you went to hang out with people that are going to steer you down that path. Because I think one of the biggest triggers we have are, are people, honestly. They, they lay out in the book about how they did a study of 12,000 people over 31 years, and they were trying to determine people's effect on people, the effects of community. And I'll tell you, this is really meaningful for us or for you as you're in college because, you know, this is a time where you are forming deep, meaningful relationships that are probably going to carry with you for a lifetime. And the reality is that those relationships, man, they can make the wrong friends can make the right choice so hard. So hard. Right choices are always harder with the wrong friends. What they found in this one study is that uh, your odds, the likelihood of you being, becoming obese, right? Remember, because they studied these people over a lifetime. The odds of you becoming obese went up 57% if you had a friend who was obese. Isn't that fascinating? On the flip side, that what they found is that if there was one friend in a group who lost weight, about a third of the time, like all the other friends would lose weight. And it probably wasn't like, a, they probably didn't all sit down and be like, okay, we're going to curves, right? Like it wasn't like this like conscious decision as a community, we're going to make these changes. It just, it just sort of happens. You just become kind of the average of your friends when you lay them all out. And so, and you know, it's not just weight stuff. It's, it's finances, it's lifestyle, it's trajectory, it's career, it's work amount, it's all that stuff. The right choice is so much harder with the wrong friends. And, but on the flip side, again, you know, the right choice is so much easier with the right people around you. And so we should take heart that ultimately God, in every single one of these situations, gives us a way out. That none of these triggers are irremovable. None of them are unconquerable. This is what he says. This is what Paul wrote to a church in Corinth. 
He says, no trial has overtaken you that's not faced by others. He says, you're not unique. Everyone is tempted. Everyone faces these things. He says, but here's the truth. In every situation, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tried beyond what you are able to bear, but with the trial, he will provide a way out so that you're able to endure it. It's beautiful right here. He uses a definitive article for the trial and the way out. We lose it a little bit in the English, but in the Greek, he's, he's very intentional in saying that this is the trial, and this is the way out. And it's, he does this intentionally because it's not always the same thing, right? He says, it's, you're not just going to have this one perfect fallback. I'm going to resist every temptation of every sin, of every you know, failure through this one method. It's not going to work like that. Paul's saying it's going to be dependent on the situation. So there's going to be wisdom and discernment in the process. He says, but there's, it's always there. There's always something there. There's always a way out. It's not easy necessarily. We can make it easier through intentional thought and effort and preparation, but it's always there. This is why Paul can confidently say, look, sin, it doesn't hold this huge power over your life. It's not overwhelming. It doesn't have to reign in your life. Therefore, it should not have a place. It should not hold a place in your life. Look at verse 17. He says, thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching you were entrusted to. He's saying, you were slaves to sin. He says, but now you have a new method. You have a new opportunity. He says, and so you've taken a hold of this new freedom in your heart. You've obeyed from your heart this thing that you're in, this pattern of teaching you're entrusted to. And having been freed from sin, you've now become enslaved to righteousness. He's saying, you had no choice, but now you do. And so he's praising the Jesus followers in Rome. He's saying, you guys, you've taken it to heart and you are, you are acknowledging, in other words, in the core of your being, that you have a new identity. And it's out of that identity that you are choosing to place yourself under the authority of Christ, that you've become enslaved to righteousness, in other words. You have a choice. He says, you can make, you're making the right one. He's trying to encourage them in this, in this moment. Because what they've done is they've taken to heart, they've taken to their core this truth that they are, they've been transformed, right? They have a new identity. And the reality is that if we know who we are, right, we will then know what to do. Right? This is just part of life. If I fully invested or adopted an identity, it's going to change how I live my life. It happens in Aggiedom, right? If I be, become an Aggie, that's going to change. If I really, I'm, I'm accepted, I'm like, yes, I'm an Aggie. Through and through. Hullabaloo. Right? Like, if I know this about myself, it's going to change the way that I live. It's going to change the jewelry that I wear. It's going to change the sweatshirts I put on when I travel. It's going to change the way I greet people. And I say, howdy. Like, oh, right? That's, that's going to change. It's going to change. We do a secret handshake that they'll teach you at graduation. Don't worry. Uh, but we, not really. Uh, but they... Everything I do is different because of what? Because of my identity. And what's beautiful is that as I obey, this is what Paul talks about a ton in Philippians, in a letter to a church in Philippi. He says, the more that I live in this way, the more I live out of this identity, the stronger that identity actually becomes, right? So if I have a gospel-centered identity, then my gospel, it's going to create these gospel-centered actions or even habits, and then those gospel-centered actions and habits, are they're going to reinforce my identity. The more that I say howdy to people and the more that I whoop and the, you know, the reason that you go to games is like, do this yell, do that yell, do this yell, right? Like the reason that they go through all these things, why? It's, it's reinforcing your core identity as an Aggie through repetition. And so 
When we look at this opportunity to, you know, be enslaved to righteousness, what it is, is maybe we're not just breaking old habits, maybe we're building new ones. For, my staff, for our staff team here in the college ministry at Anderson, man, one of, one of our goals, when Allison and I were sitting down looking at the new year, looking at our new team, we said, man, one of our goals is we want to be more closely knit. We want to encourage one another, support one another. We want to just be, we want to really be a team. And so we decided, okay, if that's our identity, we, this is the identity we want to have, then let's start just living as if we were a close-knit team. And so we put systems into place. We said, okay, we're going to meet every single day. Every single morning, first thing in the morning, or maybe second thing in the morning, depending on how early your morning starts, we will have, we have a standing meeting where we get together and we look each other in the eye. Because there's something powerful about looking someone in the eye every day. I'm looking at all of you in the eye every day. See how powerful this is? Think about that. Do you, even, do you look at all of your roommates in the eye every day? Probably not. I can probably go entire days without looking my wife in the eye. Like it just, It's easy because I'm always looking down at messes and poop, you know, but like there's, there's, there is opportunity to be had. There is closeness and, and camaraderie to be found in just, just being present with each other and just having a quick, we have a 10 minute meeting at the beginning of every morning. It's just so that we can look at each other, honestly. And so that we can realign our hearts and say like, we asked different questions. We, I said, Allison and I said, hey, we want to be people who are thankful, right? As believers, we've been, we've been rescued. I mean, we should be giving thanks always. It's a command in scripture for believers, and so one day a week, we ask the question, hey, what are you most thankful for this week? And we all answer it. We should be faithful with what's in front of us. It's a command given in Scripture. Pursue excellence in all that you do, in all of your work. And so we ask at the beginning of the week, man, what are you excited to focus on? What are you excited to tackle? Because we should be pursuing excellence and faithfulness in this role, in this work that God's put in front of us. And I'll tell you, the more that we do that, the more it reinforces, yeah, we really are a team who cares about each other, who wants to support each other, who gives thanks at all times. Because we just forced ourselves into this new, easy habit. And see, that's, that's the thing. Is that as we look at creating these systems, this is what, you know, you can look up all, lots of people have said this about habit, about adopting a new lifestyle. I mean, you got to start small, right? A small start is has the best results. Because if you just wake up today or tomorrow, right, the classic example is like maybe you want to run a marathon. You can't just wake up tomorrow and be like, I'm going to run a marathon and then go run 26 point whatever miles, right? You can't just do that. I mean, some of you can because you're bizarre, right? But others of most of us don't have that. We don't have bird bones and we can't just like maintain a running speed for 26 and whatever miles. Like we can't do that. You have to start with, you have to start building that muscle over time. And so, you know, for us, I think a lot of times if we want to really pursue a life where we're living a life that's being sanctified is what we'll read in Scripture in a moment, which just means that we're dying more into sin and living under righteousness. Sanctified is just this idea that God is transforming us more into the image of Christ. Then we start by building these habits and saying, okay, you know what? I want to be a compassionate person. So I'm going to send one I'm going to send one encouraging text a day. Just one. Just start small. Easy. I want to be a person who's thankful. So I'm going to just write out three things I'm thankful for every morning. One thing I'm thankful for every morning. I want to be a person who's in the Word. So I'm going to just read two verses a day. I'm going to sign up for a reading plan on the new version app. I'm going to read one verse. If you want to read Scripture more consistently, you want to spend time in God's Word, don't try to wake up tomorrow and be like, I'm going to read the Bible. Right? That's just not going to go well and you'll feel defeated, and the identity is broken. 
So we want to start with things that are easy. You also want to start with things that are obvious. Again, this is just like super practical, habit-forming tips and tricks. You make it easy and you make it obvious. Obvious meaning, if you want to change what you do, you got to change what you see. Uh, one pastor put it this way. Um, he said that when he was like younger, he wanted to read the word, um, but it just it was hard to build that discipline. And so what he said he did is that he put his alarm clock next to his bed. All right, it wasn't his phone, because I mean, if your phone's next to your bed, I'm just telling you, is that really the first and last thing you want to see every day? You want to wake up to your phone and go to sleep with your phone? It's just it's not great. That has nothing to do with this message, but take that to heart. Uh, he would have an alarm clock next to his bed, and he put his Bible on top of his clock so that when he woke up, he literally could not stop his alarm, could not stop the eh, 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 without picking up his Bible. And so then he said, at that point, it's like, well, I'm like holding my Bible, so I guess I'll open it. Right? I can read. And it was great. I was like, that is brilliant. Right? You're making it obvious. You just, you put your, if you want a journal, you want to write a thing you're thankful for every day, then put your journal on top of your keys or put it on top of your coffee pot or whatever. You know, like make this system where you say, okay, I'm going to, it's going to be obvious. In the same way that if you want to break a habit, you've got to make it, you've got to move, remove that temptation, right? Remove that trigger. Put those things away. The same way you want to build something, man, make it just right there. Can't escape it. And what Paul, because what Paul's saying is that, look, you, the sin in your life, it doesn't hold power. It's escapable. And it shouldn't remain, he says, because here's the reality. For the sin that does remain, he says, this is the result. He lands in verse 21 saying, just look, you want to see, you want to look down the path, you want to see where this is going to lead you? Verse 21, what benefit did you reap from those things which you're now ashamed of? He says, the end of those things is death. He says, literally in the Greek, he says, what's the fruit that came out of that branch? What's the fruit that came out of that tree? Spoiler alert, you're already ashamed of it, so it's probably not great. He says, I'll tell you, it's death. You look back at your life, you see the, the disregarding of God's direction, choosing your own path. He says, man, every single time, it's not great. He says, so instead, recognize this beautiful truth. Right? Verse 22. He says, now, freed from sin, enslaved to God, you have your benefit leading to sanctification. And the end is eternal life, for the payoff of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is saying, look, here's the incredible truth. God has given us a choice. It's not just that one is right and one is wrong in the moment. He says one is right and leads to life. The other is wrong and leads to death. The sanctification that we can take part of, man, it's, it holds this incredible eternal reward. Many times, I think what we do is we fall into this trap of overestimating the promises of the pleasure of sin. We think, you know, we have these expectations, we're like, man, if I just give into this, or I go this direction, or I say this thing, get this off my chest, we think it's going to turn out great, when the reality is that, I mean, it never delivers. It does not deliver in the long run. We see this sometimes with products. I saw this when I was looking up this week, that you think, you know what, I see these boots on Amazon, and they look super cool, and they show up at my house, and they're galoshes, and I don't like it. You go to a restaurant, you say, man, I see that sandwich on the poster, and then I get it at my table, and it's a nightmare thing, right? Like that's, it doesn't fulfill on its promises. Maybe you see, wow, that's a cool mug that changes colors (laughs) when it gets hot. And it just doesn't, right? Like it just doesn't fulfill It's promises. We overestimate the return and promises of the pleasure of sin. And that's why God has given us this opportunity to choose the eternal over the immediate. It's hard. 
It's hard to choose eternal glory over immediate gratification. Why? Because sanctification is difficult. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you've got to lay down your life, pick up your cross, and follow me. That's what it takes to be a disciple. In other words, the process of following after Christ, it begins, generally speaking, with sacrifice, with hardship. Jesus, the, the thing he promised to his disciples in this life is suffering and rejection and pain. That's what he promised. Now, beyond this world, he promised incredible Riches, wonder, glory, relationship with God for all of eternity. This is this world, what you can expect is sacrifice. And that can be really hard. Because generally speaking, when we look at the temptation of sin, it's flipped. And sin will tell us, temptation will tell us that, man, there's reward right here, right now. Immediately gratified, immediately meet that need, immediately meet that desire. But what we see in Scripture is the truth that ultimately it ends with sacrifice. You're giving up opportunity. You're giving up the glory of God for the sake of meaningless distractions in this world. The way that I think about it for me is just when I plot out a course, I'm going somewhere new, I'm going to a new coffee shop. I'm like, how do I get there? What do I do? I go to Google, go to Apple. I type it in, and it gives me step-by-step instructions. What I like to do, though, is I always like to zoom out at the beginning, and maybe I'm just getting old. And so I, just, I zoom out, and I'm like, I need to see the whole path, right? How do I get to this huge stone? Right? Like, what is this southern land? And so I, try, I always, every time I zoom out, I'm like, okay, what is, okay. Uh, and I don't understand the big map, but I just like to look at it, and I feel better about myself as a dad, right? And so... Maybe it's just this idea, it's this concept of, of zooming out. It's this idea of using that logic that maybe you learned at AM, where it's, okay, if this, then that. So if I go into the sin, if I you know, say these things, if I go down this road, if I adopt this lifestyle, then what? Look on the other side of that sin. Tell me what you see. Follow the thread. Zoom out. Swipe to the next direction. Where is it going to take you? Paul is saying, it's going to end with death. There's no pleasure held by sin over the course of a lifetime. So be wise. So the way that we wanted to end this morning is essentially with a moment of confession. A moment where hopefully God has given us maybe a little bit of clarity about the, the holdups, the, the habits, the issues, the sin that's taken root in our lives that we maybe don't even think about but we're still acting as if it's alive when in fact it should be dead. And so you're sitting on a card or maybe sitting next to a card that should have been in your seat. Uh, there's were pins scattered about as well. If you were with us last week, maybe this is a little bit familiar, but um, our hope is that you would take a moment now to really just accept this truth, to acknowledge the reality that even though we were once enslaved to sin, even though once we were children of wrath, even though once we had no choice but to fail in the eyes of God, Jesus Christ, because of his sacrifice, because of his death, because of the relationship we can now enjoy, he's demolished failure. He's given us a new choice, a new freedom. And so what we wanted you to do is just take a moment, and it's between you and the Lord, to write out, maybe it's a sin, maybe it's a habit, Maybe it's, it's an attitude, maybe it's an action, but where you would just write out, God, this is something that doesn't have to own me, doesn't have to control me. It's a sin in my life that doesn't, it doesn't hold power over me. It has no place in my life. I know it's not going to ultimately bring pleasure. And this is between you and the Lord. You're not going to, we're not going to like pass these to the people in front of you. Yell them out. Like that's not, we're not going to share. 
This is between you and the Lord. And after you write it down, then, you know, if you want to hold on to it, awesome. Uh, if you want, at the end of the service, as you leave, you can throw them in a bucket, a big old basket we'll have set up in the back. It's completely anonymous. We're, we're collecting them for the sake of, at the very end of the series, we're going to do something cool. I want to give it away. Doesn't involve fire. I keep saying that. Kind of gives it away. But it's going to be really cool. So if you want to just leave it in there, that's also great. But again, also, if you just want to hold on to it, you put it in your car, put it in a drawer, say, I want to remember that Christ has freed me from this. That's also totally great. Totally fine. But just take a moment right now and confess to the Lord. Say, God, this is a sin that doesn't have to own me. Just take a moment and write it out. And I'll wrap us up in prayer here in a second. If you need to keep writing, continue, but I'm going to close this in prayer. God, we are grateful that you have given us a promise of deliverance. That, Lord, that we can look to the cross and see visible proof that you loved us too much to leave us alone. You loved us too much to leave us in bondage to sin and death, to these choices that were really ultimately already made for us. And God, you freed us from the certainty of our own self-destruction because Jesus Christ paid the price, the penalty that, that we deserved. So God, we're about to sing about casting our minds to Calvary and, and looking to the cross and looking to see the redemption, that the, the salvation that's found through Jesus Christ. And Lord, I, I ask that that wouldn't just be words that we read off of uh, the walls, but God, it would be a truth that we really are owning and proclaiming because it's a truth that you've already spoken over us. It's a promise that you've already delivered. And so for some of us, and I, I would encourage you to take a moment and not, not just thank God for the freedom he's given you through Christ, to not just maybe even confess, God, this, this is an area where I need to change, but, but maybe to take a moment and ask the Lord, God, who do I need to talk to about this change that needs to take place? Because iron sharpens iron, iron sharpens iron. A threefold cord is not easily broken. Scripture tells us that we need other people to run the race of life well. So for some of us, we need to ask the Lord, not just, God, what needs to change in my life, but we need to ask him, God, who do I need to talk to about holding me accountable, about holding my feet to the flame of the clarity that I have right now, that, man, these attitudes or these actions, this lifestyle, Lord, it needs to change. Not because in changing it, I now can truly be saved or truly accepted by you, but because, God, Jesus Christ died for that. So why would I act? Why would I pretend like it holds power over me when it doesn't? So take a moment, pray to the Lord, confess to him, ask him, God, what should change? Who can I talk to? Take a moment to do that now.